I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. Technically, it's Convo by Design. In reality, this is another episode of Kyle Bunting and Friends. If you heard this last week and you think it's a repeat, it's not. Keep listening. <laughs> A few months ago, you heard an episode of Convo by Design featuring Fern Santini, Lauren Rote, and Jan Showers. That episode included and was orchestrated by Kyle Bunting. Kyle and I have gotten to know each other oh, a little bit over the, uh, over the last few years. We were talking one day, and this idea just came up. Got legs, sprouted wings, and before I knew what happened, Kyle offered to put this all-star panel together for an episode to be featured on the Convo by Design spinoff called Lone Star House of Design, which focuses exclusively on design emanating from Texas. It sounds kind of complicated. It's really not. You can check all of the previous podcast episodes on your podcast source of choice and find everything previously referenced. Make sure to, to listen to that episode if you haven't already, because it's fantastic. So back to the story. While Kyle and I were, were talking after that episode with Lauren, Jan, and Fern aired, I mentioned this idea with another Convo by Design alum, Timothy Corrigan. And Kyle was like, I have an idea. What is about to follow in two episodes, because it could not be packaged into one, is an incredible two-part conversation about European rugs, collaborations, artistry in Hyde, and history of rug making. This is part two of our conversation. This expands on what you've previously heard and showcases the history and significance of each piece referenced in the Chateau collection. Everything from Abasson to Savonnery. You are going to hear about the origins of the Polonaise, delicate detail to the boule, as well as custom creations like the Empire and Modern. This is a deep dive into colorways, replacing metallic silks with hide to produce a finished product that has the glimmer of polished steel, coloring that breathes depth into the pattern. It's truly amazing, and I think you're going to love it. So this is Kyle Bunting and Friends. The concept is pretty cool, and I think you're going to dig it. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger a progressive brand that was built on a promise to provide designers, architects, and homeowners with the right materials to do their best work. That promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But it's more than that. Walker Zanger believes strongly in serving the trade with a trade program that makes the specifying process simple and easy with the support you need. They have been staunch supporters of the trade since 1952. In 2020, I launched a partnership series with Walker Zanger called The Showroom. These intimate interview series conversations showcase some of the best creatives in the business. We just ended season one, which had some amazing names. And if you want to check them out, please go back through the podcast catalog and find any episode entitled The Showroom so you can hear these amazing conversations. And if you haven't stopped by a Walker Zanger showroom lately, you're missing out and you need to go check them out. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can possibly imagine or create. So check out any of their showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. We had this conversation the other day and we're talking about the Chateau collection, the new, the new collaboration. 
uh, between you, Kyle, and you, Tim. And it is absolutely magnificent. And, and what I found was through the course of a, of a one hour conversation talking about the, the, the process, the discovery, the collaboration in this, in this whole process, what I think is really important is to kind of back up and do kind of a part two talking about the history um, and the history of rugs. And, you know, it's funny because since we last spoke, I started thinking about this. I don't think there is an earlier adornment than the rug, specifically the hide rug. Mm-hmm. I, probably, I don't probably the first first rug there was was probably hide. Yeah, but I mean, any decor of any kind, I, I think the rug, the hide rug probably came even before the 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 stone blood and charcoal for the for the wall paintings. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> Probably, Kyle, you would probably know that, but it, it, but, but that does make sense. It makes sense to me. There, there's a photograph somewhere, but it uh, you know it took a, a couple millennial for uh, somebody to show up and refine it. I think I'm gonna you know take some, maybe take some credit for that. Yes. Well, you think about you think about. I think that even in the the, the Flintstones, I think Barney Rupp or uh, Fred Flintstone was wearing a hide 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 outfit. So sure, they they, they all were. You know, Josh, I never really thought of it. I mean, uh, all, all kind of kidding aside, I never really thought of it. But it, the first time someone had, um, you know, evolved to a place where they had an opportunity to think about comfort where they were and to and have some um, incremental uh, product or, or resources available to them, you might be right that the first thing they ever thought to put on the floor might have been. Uh, might have been a hide in some way so that they could either sleep or walk more comfortably, but never really thought of it. Well, and it's funny, just to con- just to, a little bit of, of connectivity between this conversation and our last one, Tim, you said that um, the rug is basically the trophy in the room. And I, and I just wanted to, to sort of reset the table here with that quote, because if you think of it, and I don't want this to be like a history class all the way back to you know, prehistoric man. I don't think we have to go that far back, but here's what I do think is really interesting. This idea that you've taken probably the most original form of decor and design in the rug, taking it back to the original form, but the artistry and the the majesty and the magic in you know, specifically the Chateau collection. I mean, Kyle, you know what you know that I'm a I'm a fan of of you and your work. And what you've done with a natural product with with this collection is simply magnificent. And then to compare it, you know, we were we were talking about the bull and the Abbasan and all of all of the different styles that you've sort of approached this collection with. It's amazing. And I think it's important to sort of go back a little bit and talk about the 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 history of, of these, these carpets and, and sort of where these ideas came from. Yeah, I'd never really made the bridge if I would just uh, interject quickly in, into the historical nature of the material and how it relates to the historical designs. But I think, you know, we came to it from our end with a unique capability to take this material and tailor it into designed product. And I think what, you know, the special sauce of it perhaps is recognizing working with somebody like Tilm, who said, okay, these are the building blocks we have to play with. 
hmm, what are we going to do with this? And he brought his historical understanding, and I think his design perspective uh, synergized, if you will, into what if we do this? And I think uh, his historical uh, knowledge of what these designs mean is what made them so much so different and so unique. What you know, what's interesting is is that I think that that it's exactly that. It's it's that they have an historical reference, but yet they've been so totally updated um, for the way people live today, uh, both from a from a pattern color standpoint, as well as you know from the material of, of transitioning from the traditional wool to the hide material. But you know, it's as interesting. I think that if you look at the rugs, um, the one that's the oldest the oldest actual rug in the collection from a from a historic perspective is the obasan the obasan actually goes dates back to the eighth century um that that type of weaving goes back to the eighth century um, and it was continued to be refined etc but it's uh, what the obasan rug uh traditionally was was kind of a um the equivalent of what we think of when we think of a tapestry that's on a wall mm -hmm. uh in a, in a museum uh, it's that kind of that kind of weaving technique which is how an obasan rug is is made, which is it's a woven technique versus a uh, a, a knotted rug technique. Um, so, uh, from an obasan standpoint, as a designer, I very rarely um, specify obasan rugs because they're really not um, they're they're not thick enough and sturdy enough to use on a regular daily basis. But they've got the most amazing designs, um, and so uh, the the interesting thing is that. Modern rug design, when I say modern, I mean from the 17th century as opposed to the 7th century. Uh, modern rug design in Europe really all goes back to Louis XIV. Um, and again, I don't want to get into too much of a history lesson, but I think Louis XIV was this brilliant man because he understood that the only way he was going to be able to transition the center of Europe from Italy, where it had been for the last two or three centuries before that, um, to France was if he realized that he had to bring industry to France. And um, what he did was he very smartly said, um, basically, we're going to create, um, we're going to start creating our own factories to design things and make things um, that can only be purchased from France. So, for example, it was like a tariffs he basically put in. He said, if you wanted to have a uh, an Obasan, beautiful Obasan rug, you actually had it had to be made and produced in in France, and 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 so you couldn't actually buy it and import one in from another country. So it's sort of a a, a 17th century version of trade embargoes. Um, but but he basically created by doing that he created silk factories and furniture factories and and all these different things that basically create what we now think of as the arts of. The golden age of France, which was the 17th century, um, and by in doing all that, he actually created this incredible empire that was based on commerce. It, it, yes, he wanted to to create the center from a cultural standpoint, but he realized that he needed to do it from a commerce perspective as well. So, I mean, he's just a brilliant man. And there's a, a great book called um, "The Man Who or the, the Man Who Inve the Invention of Style," and it's all about how Louis XIV basically created everything that we think of as French style today. Um, and, and his purpose was uh, from, a, from a commercial standpoint, commerce standpoint, as opposed to a style perspective. But it's, it's a fascinating just bit of history if you start to think about uh, culture being shaped by commerce, which I guess it's always, always has been thus. 
Josh, now you understand why I partnered with Tim on this. I was in the back of the class, and Tim was like the A student in the front. And 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 and, and it's a tip of the hat, truly. This fountain never ceases to flow. And, I guess, and, and I think is, I think probably a, lots of people would wish it would just go dry. Because no, no, it's a it is a huge <laughs> blessing to be in the presence of uh, of Mr. Corrigan's knowledge on this. And I think I, I'm complimenting Tim and and kind of having a laugh because the more I learned about these things that I didn't have the same historical perspective on and dove a little deeper on it, educated our perspective on looking at it a little differently, which is like the pattern behind you, why we invented it in, in such a unique colorway. We thought kind of hadn't seen this and that's how we brought to it. We, we were, uh, of course, as a rug guy, I was familiar with a lot of these things macro, but the getting into the micro with Tim's leadership was was a big differentiator for us to, to do the best work we could. And here's the here's the one thing I want to I want to jump in with though that I find very interesting. And Tim, by the way, to say you don't want to make this too much of a history lesson, that's exactly what I want to do here because right. I think it's awesome. I don't want it to be a boring history lesson. So <laughs> no, 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 I don't think it is. And I and I think it's amazing. But one of the things I kind of want to drill down on a little bit is specifically, and I'm glad you brought the Abbasan. Uh, first, because the Abbasan is a, it's a, it's a, and correct me on this, right? It's a, it's a flat weave, yes. right? So because it's, it's, it's a flat weave and the dimension is different, I think it serves really well to hide as a, as a material. And I, I'm curious if almost better than, than a, a traditional rug because of what, what hide represents. Well, it's it's a little better. It, it's better in that it is much more uh, an Obasan rug is much more block print based. Um, there's not huge, huge nuances of coloration um, in 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 a traditional Obasan rug. It's it sort of it goes from from pink to red to blue, whatever whatever the colors are. You don't get these huge gradations. Um, that we're going to see more in the Savonnerie. Um, uh, both from a color standpoint as well as it, it, it shifts from being a flat weave to a cut uh, a cut pile um, where you can get much more uh, gradation of color. Um, but so I think that the Obison was a total no-brainer in terms of, from my perspective, in terms of designing a, a rug that worked well um, in hides because it tends to be these strong blocks of color, um, almost like a almost like a, 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 a quilt almost, where you've got these strong blocks of color that are that come together. Um, and what's interesting is that particularly during the 19th century, um, Obasans became extremely bright colored um, with, with lots of different colors, which is why it's a perfect translation to what we now see in the um, the, the colorations that, that Kyle and his great design people did in terms of, of taking the kind of boring colors that I frankly developed first and making them sort of multicolored and wow. And I love, I love that, that that's what they, they brought it to. Kyle, take me through the color, the coloration process because you, you can do so much. And I think that that's one of the things that makes this partnership so special is that you get this, you know, here's the design idea, here's this historical reference, here's the vision. And then from a technical standpoint, you're the guy that says, yeah, we can, we can do that. We can do this. We can do that. But here's what we can also do. Um, and from a, from a technical, from a manufacturing, from a production standpoint, how does it work on your end? You know, uh, for us, we're um, 
you know, like most people are in um, uh, material suppliers and design, we're a little bit obsessed with uh, dye lot and consistency. And one of the things that we do, which is is interesting, is um, I remember when we first started working with uh, dyed materials, there's a saturation process that goes through with, with hide where, um, you know, the leather is dyed. And I remember uh, seeing the first time I saw these dye lots and they came out and they had these beautiful colors on the front. And then I flipped them over and they were still blue on the back. Uh, leather people call leather people call uh, raw leather before it's tan blues because they have this kind of bluish gray hue. And I looked at it and I thought, God, that's really interesting. Um, why is it gray on the back? And they said, well, it's just not fully saturated. And I was like, well, what can we do to change that? I said, I don't know, add more dye. I said, why don't we just run them multiple times? They said, oh, well, nobody does that. I said, why is this expensive? And I said, well, how expensive? <laughs> okay, well, all right, well, let's give it a try. And so I think for us, color saturation is really important. And we, we ran all the colors multiple times, sometimes two or three times through the drums more than anybody else does. And so our colors are fully saturated all the way through. So it's blue on the back and blue on the top. But the byproduct was they were like twice as vibrant as anything I'd ever seen in the same color lot. And we were all of a sudden like, wow, we have this depth of color that's amazing. And I think this established for us um, what I'd like to kind of call a, a dynamic and alive, very saturated palette. And so when Tim's designs came up, what I think was really interesting about them with color was a lot of these carpets, because of age, and a lot of them are antiques, and because of the time when they were developed, were a lot of them, except for Zavonnery, which has always very been kind of very, very bright, but a lot of them were um, very pale and muted, but they had a lot of colors. So if you looked at the designs, they had all sorts of different motifs and little elements of colors, which were beautiful. It's very, very hard to get eight colors to work together, right? that they were these pale carpets with these beautiful set, subtle colors. And then I looked at them and I thought, our colors are so saturated and bright. You know, how are we going to make this work? And it's a lot like the carpet behind you. We had to find um, variations of using colors that worked in certain areas together. That would be multiple color. And then different segments of the rug that would come together differently in emblems and in various accoutrements that'd be in the rug. And then deciding which rugs just needed to be very basically monochromatic with a couple of different variations, kind of like the blue empire and the purple empire that we, we spoke of the other day. And, and for us, it was just, it was really fascinating to kind of think about it and, and realize um, what they were going to look at. And then to kind of um, establish all these ideas and bring them to Tim and go, okay, now Tim, you know, are you sit, are you sitting down? Because kind of here's what we're thinking. And I think, um, you know, it's a little bit like an aha moment. We saw it and we're like, that's the way to do it. And we embraced it. And then the refinement was really taking idea A and giving it to Tim and then, and then Tim making the choices he made to adjust it to what you see today. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's exciting about it, Josh. And, and one little thing is, this is how it works with designers. They go, that's beautiful. And then they change it. Right. And our intent was, well, we're going to make about 20 to 25 of these things as kind of prototypes. 
let's just show the craziest spectrum we can so that they look at it and go, oh, this is fantastic because as long as I've been doing this, I'll put out 12 colors, if you will, in a design. And one of them is bought once a year and modifications to the 12 are bought 48 times a year. And, and it's just the way it is. So what you're trying to show designers, what I always like to do is just say, hey, um, look at all these crazy places you could take it. So their head gets around all the options and then it turns into something. And, and uh, uh, we're, uh, I don't know, we're kind of better off for it just to show people. the. Potential. And, and I, would, I would totally say uh, that the design world is better off for it as well, because I think that uh, while it's great to offer these in certain colors, um, I really do believe that the future of interior design is going to be um, our, our designer's ability to offer truly unique customized, customized options for our clients, uh, things that they can only offer, that only they, only they can provide to their clients, things that the clients cannot find on their own, and that includes colorizations. So I would really encourage uh, designers to colorize these things for themselves, make them work for their own individual projects. They're, they're doing themselves a service in the long run by making their services as unique as possible and their products as unique as possible. And you know that, that's exactly what, what Kyle Bunting does is they allow you to, to totally customize it um, with all those different colorations and, yeah, and in a very I, easy I, way. And I'm gonna echo that. I mean, the, the business we're seeing, I mean, you know, to kind of get into a, a larger conversation about what's happening to the industry, uh, th this phrase, you know, buy the room, th this, you don't buy the room if you work with an interior decorator, you buy the vision and, and the responsibility of the, the artists and the geniuses we get to work with. And, and I, I, I use that phrase liberally with a lot of the people that are my clients and even with Tim is the ability to see how one of these designs, whether it's Tim's collection or something else we do, or even a carpet manufacturer by a different company, to be able to modify it, to tailor it to the experience and then layer in all the other things around it. That's what these people do. And that's what you're paying them for. And that's what makes it different and makes it truly art. Yeah. Totally agree. And, and with that, I want to jump down to, I say jump down because I'm, I'm looking at the collection. I want it because you both mentioned the uh, Savannah I wanted to jump down and, and look at the difference between that and the uh, the Abbasan, because with the Abbasan you have you have and, and Tim help me with this is with the Abbasan is it multiple repeats or a repeating pattern is that is that part of the okay so the Savonnerie is a really tricky it's a tricky rug to recreate in a different format because what Savonnerie is really it's it's really again let me give you a little bit of history because it helps understand um, why the Savonnerie is the way it is is the Savonnerie was actually, uh, was really sort of developed um, during the 17th century by, at the time of, of Louis XIV. Uh, and uh, it was this cut pile rug. Um, it was only one factory, the Savonnerie factory um, in, in Paris that created them. And for the first 200 years or 180 years of their existence, only the king could order this rug. Only the royal court could have could order this kind of rug, this kind of made, and so it would be he would he would have it for his palaces. He would give it as a gift. It was one of the it was the made, main major gift you give as a dipl, as a dipl, um, diplomatic gift to another king of another country. You'd give it a Savonnerie rug. What was so uh, incredible about them is the gradation, the, the fineness of the design and gradation of color. So you will have a. Um, a, a fan of colors where it goes from 
light, light blue to a little, a little light, a little bluer to a little bluer to a little bluer. You, it's this all this gradation. So it made it very difficult to exactly replicate that concept in hides because we're dealing with much bigger pieces. Um, and so it was, a, uh, and because the design, um, the designs in Savonnerie are much more delicate than you actually can create in a traditional hide. So we had to simplify it somewhat. And so we came upon um, one central medallion motif that is typical of a uh, Savonnerie rug and then introduced other elements that, of swirls and, and flowers and things like that. But it's the idea of the central motif with a sort of a wave of, um, uh, of color that you can create by doing different shades of similar colors or going to broadly different colors and almost make it feel like a sun sunshine. Um, uh, so it's, it's, it's a really, I think it's, it's, it was probably the toughest of all the rugs to translate into hide. Um, but I, I really love it. And I really love the way uh, we've done it in, in a different number of different colorations. Yeah. And they're turning and in frankly, most even, even in a solid color, it looks great because the design really sticks out. It pops out. That's really true. And, and it was it was the trickiest one, you know, to uh, package, Josh, because with what we do, you're kind of like, OK, let's show a runner option and let's show a rectangular option. And and, and it was very, very tricky to kind of um, engineer into conventional designs. And it's the one that takes the most work. But I think we did a pretty good job of it. But right now it's mostly because of the design element and that 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 sunburst design. People are mostly specifying it for like focal rugs. Um, they want to put them as like a, a moment of interest. You kind of come in and you see it and you're just like, wow, that's amazing. It's under a focal table and an entrance and then you, you pass it. So it, it is uh, used in a, a kind of a non-conventional sense. So far, yeah, at least that's what we're seeing people put in. That's exactly what I'm, I, I'm actually, I'm using this rug um, in what will be my office at, at my chateau. And it is going to be, um, the, all the, the chairs, everything else will be around the perimeter. The, the rug is the, the room and the, the rug is the room there. It's, the, <laughs> it's not only the star, it's the, it's the star and the supporting cast. Um, and I think that, but this, to do a collection that is inspired by European design and not have a Savonnerie inspired rug would have been really overlooking one of the great, one of the greats of, of European rugs. So we sort of, we knew we had to do it, even though it was going to be tricky and, and, and complicated. Here's what's interesting too, the idea that you are using different rugs as different tools of design. That's what's, I think that's, you know, Kyle, to your, to your point too. And I have, we, the three of us, we have all spoken individually and together on multiple occasions. And you know, my, my fondness for designers. And I think the true value of what designers and decorators do is lost in the, Kyle, to your point, the, the by the room idea, right? So to have rugs that, that are designed specifically to, to, uh, to speak to certain functions, I think, and to do certain things as they relate to the overall design in the room, I think is, is magical and wonderful. And one of the, the true values and the true skills of, of quality designers like you, Tim. Uh, with, with that, I wanted to, to jump up to the, because um, we're talking about the technical aspect of this and, and from Savonnerie to, to the Polonaise, uh, because when you look at this and you look at the, the detail and some of the repeats and just how this is, how the ideas are put together, the colorations, all the things that we've been talking about. Tim, tell me about the Polonaise. 
So polonaise is great. Polonaise is probably my favorite style, um, traditional nada grog, because it's um, it's a combination of uh, Western culture, European culture, with traditional um, traditional rug making, Middle Eastern or what we call Oriental rug making. Um, and it was really it was the um, uh, it was the king of Poland. Uh, polonaise is 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 Polish. The word Polish in French in French. So don't know why. Don't, don't we won't get into the complication of that. But uh, but it really is because it was during the during the French reign of, of of France being sort of the center of the world culturally when Poland a Polonaise rug was developed. Um, and it was the King of Poland wanted a traditional Oriental rug, but with European design elements, as opposed to feeling like a a traditional Eastern or Middle Eastern rug. Um, so it, it it was incorporates these design elements and it tends to be big swirling um, acanthus leaves and vines. Um, so it's a very open rug. It's a very loose, light, uh, uh, not an overly detailed rug, uh, but with lots of swirls and, and, and very openness. And I tend to like to use Polonaise rugs um, a lot. Um, we, we, we make a lot of them um, because they're, they're how to say this they're they're a beautiful elegant but not too formal rug they're the, the the swirls make them feel a little more contemporary and a little more open than a traditional oriental rug um so i, I really was determined that we have a a a, a, a polonaise rug in this collection because i really just think that there's there's just a wonderful um lyrical aspect to this kind of rug because of the vines that twirl the idea here, the idea here too, that Polonaise made in Poland, but not necessarily. Right, made for Poland, but <laughs> yes. But yes. still Persian. Yes, they were Persian rugs that were, that were made for the King of Poland. And then they became adapted and, and became uh, made out of some of the finest materials, metallics and, and the finest silks and, and colorations, beautiful. They tend to be, um, very subtle, but very clear, bright, uh, soft colors as opposed to strong reds and 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 colors like that. They're very, they're really beautiful. Um, they're 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 rugs that are not in your face kind of rugs. Whereas a lot of traditional Oriental rugs are all about making a statement of I'm 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 the big star. And a Polonaise is is um, it's a little easier to live with. It's a quieter rug. Yeah. It's funny you say that because, and, and help me out here again, historically speaking, and, and I'm curious because with, with Polonaise traditionally, you know, a silk pile with, with metallic brocade, the idea, and we talked, we touched on this, I think last time we spoke was with the metallic side of it because of a hide and you have that shimmer and shine that, that comes from, from the actual hide itself, the fur itself. So I'm curious, Kyle, when you look at this and you think about metallics, and you think about a hide, it seems perfectly suited for, for that type of effect. Yeah, I think that we, we, we benefit, as I spoke to you about this last time, I mean, we benefit from the materials kind of the star of the show for us. It, it, it carries a lot of the weight. And it was just, you know, this particular design is, is actually the hardest first manufacturer. It's kind of the trickiest in the, putting in these small design motifs. Uh, that are narrow and swirly and cutting the pieces. I mean, the engineering was um, a, a really a challenge, but I think it's the one thing that when you, when you, um, it feels like it's the one design that most represented the material effect in the traditional way of the design itself. 
right? That that it that it mimicked, if you will, what you felt in tradition in these designs traditionally because of the uh, because of the way that what we use works with light. Uh, it's really important for us, and I think um, it 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 almost feels like. Um, we bought we brought the metallic effect in it because of the the um, the way that there's um, light balance and hide, but we didn't have to work too hard for it. Where we had to do all the hard work was trying to figure out how to make all those rugs. Yeah. Uh, it was a tricky one, that's for sure. I I want to drill down on that a little bit because I'd like to actually know what goes on behind the scenes as it relates to the actual mechanics. How, when you see something like this, your your designers, your your man, your your design team, your artistic team has to has to look at this and say, Kyle, I think you might have lost it a little bit here. <laughs> um, yeah, they didn't. They used a different um, word. <laughs> I can hear them screaming all the way in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, they they uh, they they had a different expression. Um, Starts with uh, R U, ends with crazy. Very, yeah, it was a very quick response too. I I do remember that. Um, but I think you know what we have to do is um, you know we have to remember that how the material works with light and how it brings a pattern to life. And what I thought was really interesting about this for us was, you know, kind of stepping back and looking at um, the material. You got to remember what we use is limited. It's not yarn. It doesn't spool off and it has kind of unlimited um, negative space potential. The trick for us is, is trying to use something that has um, a limited size so it can't cover too big of an area, but also it's also um, granular. So a, a piece this big has a, a dramatic effect on light and that all the grain is running in a particular direction. So there's a, there's a healthy balance in the way that I think we designed it and engineered it between small pieces and large pieces to kind of bring texture and body to the work without being, um, I don't know, too easy and too cliche. Because it, it would be easy for me to fill out all that negative space with a bunch of little pieces and just kind of have all this texture everywhere, but it would be hard and complicated to build. At the same time, you may want to take a big piece of leather and say, oh, I'm just going to cover this whole area and drop pieces in it, but then it's less interesting. And I think uh, the magic the secret sauce and what we do is find a way to engineer these things to let the material bring them bring them to life. And I, 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 this was this was a big challenge, but I'm real happy with the way we did it. It's interesting because I didn't even really understand how how I always knew that Kyle Bunting rugs were different than any other kind of hide rug that I'd ever seen. I didn't really understand fully what made them so different until I actually was down at his operation and saw how they're made and how, um, how, how he handles all the hides, how they're cut into the individual pieces, how they're then applied. Um, it, 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 there is, it is a secret sauce that, that, that he's talking about that, is, um, that you, you cannot even understand it until you see the process of how these are, these rugs are made. It's really an extraordinary extraordinary thing, but it's it's why Kyle Bunting's rugs are so special. One of the things I just want to point out is, and because I, I don't think we've really covered this, is you have to realize that every every piece that you work with 
is different, naturally different. It's not like um, it, it's it, using a yarn or using a material like that where you have, you have quality control over what the product actually is and the coloration and the material and the thickness. And you can, you can craft a yarn to be very, very consistent. You can't, you can't necessarily craft hide to, to be consistent. You can have consistencies and you can look for certain things in quality control, but that's just an, an exceptional element to me. And within a single hide, the thing that I learned was within a single hide, you're going to have huge, can have huge variations. So uh, of, of the, of the, of the texture, et cetera. So, um, you know, it really, it is very individual. And so, I, and I just want to, I just want to, so then the transition is, is really interesting to go from the Polonaise to the modern because the pieces are, are larger in format right? The, the pieces are larger yet at the same time. See, for me, I found between this and empire, um, but sticking with modern for a minute, I found this so emotional because of the, the natural shading in the design mm -hmm. and to see two sides of it, but it's not as, it's not as intricate as some of the others, but I think emotionally speaking, it, it really, it really, really spoke to me. And, and I'm, and I'm curious, you know, Tim in your design and Kyle in, in your application, how you view the difference between the rugs that have many, many smaller pieces and the ones that have larger pieces, but how can you work differently with them? And then sort of where was the historical reference in, in these? Uh, let me start with historical reference. Can I, then, Kyle, yeah, let me, let me interject something. I just, it's, it's in front of this because I think it'll help Tim a little bit. Those, these two designs were both really interesting in that more than the others, they had large panels that would create a distinctive experience with light. And so when we finish something and we're going through and making a change, we're like taking one piece out and changing it because like all the grain's too dramatic or it's too short, you need something longer, you need that texture. And both of these designs were the same for us to kind of create that. And so for us on the studio, we're always looking at something and we're walking over it at the end and going, we got to switch that one out, cut another one because we need a little body over there. And I think that's the emotional attachment you feel like there's just something dynamic and unique in that quadrant over there. And then there's another one over here and something else. This is how we did it. And, and that was our responsibility. The rest of it was all Tilm. It was just an easy palette to those two designs to play with the, the grain more than anything else were really the ones that allowed us the most drama. Uh, tell me, I apologize for interrupting. No, no, absolutely. I think that's a great, great introduction. I think that I'll just give you the history on this one because it's 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 not a rug. It's the history is not rug related. It's really it's um, it's brings comes back to an uh, an interior designer from the uh, 1930s and 40s um, named Christian Berard, and he was hired to design the Guerlain Cosmetics Boutique on the Champs Elysees, and he. Uh, Guerlain was this old sort of stuffy cosmetics company, and he was trying to create um, the sense of the history of this company, but present it in a new way, sort of like repackaging of it and making it feel more hip and modern. And so what he did was he, just through paint, he painted the walls as if they were old paneled walls, but he did it with shadow, with dark, dark and light paint to create the effect of paneling with shadow and relief. Uh, mm -hmm. So the relief, you know, if it was in the, if it was in, if it was in the, the light part where the sun was hitting it, it was with white paint. And if it was in the shadow, it was that same paneling, but done in black paint. 
And so you've got this idea of the dark and the light side. And so I really wanted to play with the concept of a motif of a design element that is almost three-dimensional where you're seeing the light coming on one side and the shadow on the other side. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that that um, uh, it is, of all the different patterns, I think it's the one that actually works best in hide. Mm-hmm. I think it works better in hide than it would in almost any other material because of the inherent uh, light reflective aspect of hide and the way it does feel shimmery and and then can feel like it's it's darker and in the shade. Um, so I think it was it was it's a, it's a it's a really natural for uh, for hide. Makes sense. It, it makes it makes perfect sense. And, and what I what I also think too, and Kyle, to your point, as far as what brings out the emotion in this, as I when I when I look at it, and I'm starting to look deeper at it, as Tim's explaining it, I'm. Every time I look at this, and and I don't know why this is, um, because the, the the panels are bigger. But every time I look at them, I see something that I didn't see before. Yeah, and, and I think that that's one of the things that's really you know to to your point, Tim, as far as the light and the dark and and playing off each other. Every time I look at the 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 rugs in the modern in the modern collection, I I see something different, even in the in the monochromatic sides of them, there's a, you know, if it's black, then there's a different shade of gray. And it's just, it's really interesting to me how those play off. Now the empire is different. And it's one of the fascinating things I I think with, with empires, you were, you were able to really play with color, both monochromatic and drastic changes. Um, But also, you know, like there's, you're using very much, there's one that I'm looking at that is, that it's sort of a a white cream that goes into so many different, I couldn't tell you how many different variations of the, of the color palette I see, which is, which is amazing. Well, I think, you know, I think, you know, let me just, I'll give some brief just history on, on, on the rug. Empire was, is a period um, from um, basically the, the late, late um, 18th century, early 19th century, when Napoleon uh, became the emperor uh, of France. Um, and his he very consciously, um, much as Louis XIV used um, the arts to, um, to, to create the country uh, financially, Napoleon used art and design to legitimize his reign. And so what he did was he went back to earlier empires, Greek and Roman uh, uh, and Egyptian um, empires, and and took motifs from that from those empires to sort of say, "Gee, you see, we're not that we're not we're no different than those other those other great empires from our his, throughout history." Uh, and so we actually tried to use some of those kinds of motifs in the rugs, um, where it, so it, it feels there's a timeless feeling in the rug uh, because of elements that you're not even really aware that you're seeing, but they do have this historical reference. And then they feel so contemporary and modern because of the, the strong colorations that, that we've done. So interesting too, because as you're explaining this, you know, I'm looking back at the Polonaise and the Savonnerie, and I'm seeing the, the creative, artsy, swirly feel to it. And then you look at Empire, it's like blocky, mm. specific, like in your grill. That's exactly yeah. right. And, and yeah. it's really interesting. And, and I'm curious, Tim, as a designer, when you're, when you're crafting your designs for your individual clients, 
it now gives you so many, so many more tools for application to sort of apply specifically to the personality or the feel. Absolutely. Because if you think about it, a, room, a rug that has a soft, open, lyrical feel is going to feel very, it's going to create a very different mood for that space versus one that is very much strong and in your face. It's going to create just a, a totally different sense. But then when you add the coloration, you can shift it again. So that's what makes it so interesting is to see uh, and, 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 and that other aspect of, of bringing uh, more of a tone on tone approach, which will give you a much more subtle boom uh, in your face because you're just getting it in the pattern, but not necessarily through coloration. Yeah, and, and I would uh, add, except for a couple of the designs, I, I mean, all of them can do what I'm about to describe, but I think Empire and and the bool are the two that maybe are the omissions from what I'm about to explain, but all these designs have um, interesting borders, right? And so you can do a contrast color uh, just for a little uh, element that is a, a departure from the balance of the interior colorway. So I think one of the first carpets, uh, Tim, do you remember one of the first ones we did was uh, the Abazon we built for you. And I think the interior was like a green and a cream and a gray, um, beautiful motif, but then it had this vibrant um, reddish border on the exterior. And it was, it was kind of like, it just had an element that nobody would have bought as a stock product. They would have overlooked, but the designer would say the, the, the base pattern in the interior is fantastic. And now we can add something to the outside. Right. And, and I bring that up because we're having a lot of designs in our business. When somebody likes this, it's okay. When do you need it? Uh, and what size do you need? And which pattern do you like? And, 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 and what shape is it going to be? Okay. I need an Albazon in November and it's 20 foot across and it's round. Okay, great. We start playing with the design and line art and then we start adding color and we're seeing a surprising number of these designs. Obviously they completely change the color palette, but, People are doing subtle, um, they're making subtle changes to accent colors throughout the rug. They'll look at the whole palette and it'll be grays and creams and neutral. And then there'll be like pink medallions they just drop in. Really, really interesting. And I think the collection gives designers a lot of liberties to add interesting accents, which has uh, is different than a lot of the work we do. I just want to point something out that that as as you both are speaking about this, that I find so fascinating and so interesting. You know, Tim, you you mentioned that in your chateau, in your office, you know, that is where the Savonnery round carpet's gonna go. And I'm starting to think, you know, as we've what I know about you and as we've spoken, I'm I'm thinking, yeah, that's his personality. And that's it's it's not it's not the empire, right? It's it's actually that's that's who you are. And, and Kyle, as you're talking about using using the colors, using the shapes, using the styles to define one's personality. I think it is fascinating and absolutely amazing that designers have this ability through this collection. And, and I, I, I don't recall really having this conversation with anyone else before about how this this works functionally to to speak to the entire tableau that that's created in a specific design it feels like the the opportunities to further match clients true needs and wishes and desires to their design are 
are endless and infinite here. Yeah. Is that how you view it? I, I, I think that this, um, I go back a little bit to um, the conversation we had about this the first time out. If, you th- if you've paid attention and been listening to um, Mr. Corrigan while we've learned about these designs, you could easily and casually say, Josh, wow, Tim really knows a lot about this. And this has been critical to the development of this work. And isn't it fascinating that, that he has this just breadth of knowledge? He does, but, but what you overlook in that, and that, that knowledge is really intimate and personal. It took a lot of his life to embrace and absorb, because Tim's a really smart guy, but he didn't read the book. He's not a savant. He didn't walk away with it. Let this get really clear. That's for sure. <laughs> but but to have that insight and that knowledge it is personal. And for us, the way we work with the material and that it's all we do is uniquely intimate and personal to us. And then to kind of have this experience we had on site to be we finally are finding what we want to do. I think that that these rugs are so um, intimate uh, and have the potential to be so intimate and there's something emotional and moving in them because I think the DNA of that whole experience is in the carpets. I just think it's different. Uh, with all due respect to the other things that I've created, they're all personal. But this one's just a little bit extra because I think both of us had it. We had so much time and energy into the experience and it was so many ups and downs that I think it, I don't know, I think it translates in the work. I really do. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Very special. Though it, yeah. And the, the other thing I will say, and, and Kyle, to your point is, you know, one of the things that I, I think is wonderful about Tim and Tim, this is like, an, in, this is your life, you know, we're, um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> because, because this is your second career, um, and because, you know, running a global advertising agency, you get the opportunity to really dive deep into the research of how people think and what what it's going to take to motivate them. One of the things that I think the design industry could really benefit from more is actual across the board type research into Absolutely. what what clients want because clients don't tell you what they want. They tell you nowadays, it's kind of like Kylie, what you were saying, shop the room, right? They'll, they'll tell you what they like on Pinterest and Instagram. It's like, yeah, but that's their life, not your life. And what I think is so interesting is to be able to take that, that background and understanding research and understanding uh, formats. And when I say formats, I mean, radio and TV and formats and trying to reach your type your demographic based on specific formats and then crafting the message to speak to individuals within the overall demographic. I don't think the design industry does that near enough. And I will tell you, it's something that I think probably because of my background in marketing, um, we, we spend the first three hours with a client doing nothing more than asking them questions, showing them pictures, showing them video, showing them things, showing them patterns and textures and colors because we really want to understand as much as we can about what they really like what they but equally importantly what they don't like uh and and we really probe what they don't like so that we make sure that that we are really giving them a the end product is going to be one that they really um that really resonates with them and and it's really um their vision as opposed to our vision of what we think they should be 
it, and and key, I, key thing. I think, to, you know, and, and I kind of had the same experience of, of having not to Tim's degree, but kind of in a media and advertising background where these were things that were easy for me to relate to. I, I would just like to add to what we're talking about right here. I think that I don't feel like people are showing you things that they like. I think they're giving you insights into how those things make them feel. And I think it's, a, it, 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 it's oh, I like this, oh, I like this, oh, I like this. No, that makes you feel a certain way. And I, and I, I really, um, I, I think paying attention to what you're creating for them so that they can be in it and around it and have that, that fulfillment translate is a real big part of what we're trying to be uh, in, in the most, you know, efficient but elevated sense. And, and I, I think keeping that in mind is really good tip for designers. Totally agree. And, you know, with that, to, to put a bow on this thing, I, I, I really appreciate all the time. I mean, we've basically done two full episodes. And I would consider this um, to be an absolutely invaluable CEU. I mean, on the, on the history of carpet, carpet making, uh, historical reference. But, but also one of the things that just goes deeper is, you know, designers need to understand that you have options and opportunities. And sometimes, especially now, Tim, you know, to start where, to finish off where we kind of started, you know, you had asked me, you know, how are you holding up? What have you been doing during this whole thing? Every designer I'm talking to now is busier than they've ever been before. They're running faster than they've ever run before. They're, they're specifying, they're respecifying because they can't get delivery. They're trying to find product coming from Europe or, or Asia. And they're, it's, it's an issue right now. Eventually, some of these things are going to clear up. But I, I think global supply chain and quality of product are always going to be an issue from now on. And that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this, this double here and dig deep. Because I think that you're talking about something that is truly handmade. That is that is well crafted, well designed, well thought out, completely flexible in how it can be presented from a colorway standpoint, um, from a shape standpoint. I just I, I think that this is really well done, and I I wanted to shine a light on it because I think the both the both of you really, you know, I've spoken to both of you before, and you know my feeling on collaboration and partnership, and I feel like this partnership and this collaboration was done to absolute perfection. So, so hats off to you guys. Thank you. And I gotta just say, it's really, I wanna, I wanna do hats off to, to, to Kyle because truly he created this industry. He created the hide rug. It, it is, it's spectacular. It's a great addition to our whole design, the whole design uh, industry and the field. And I just wanna thank, you know, Kyle for, for all your support in, in bringing this collection to life. So thank you, thank you. Uh, thanks, Tim, and the uh, mutual, uh, feelings mutual. And Josh, I mean, um, uh, on behalf of both of us, it, it, what you're doing is a real asset to uh, the cause of the industry. And uh, anytime we can participate, uh, all hands on deck. Uh, really, it, 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 the pleasure's ours. It really is. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Kyle. 
for being part of this. I am so fortunate to have friends like you. I really enjoyed our time together and absolutely love the collection. Thank you, Walker Zanger and Thermosol, for your partnership. And thank you for listening and subscribing to the podcast. Keep those emails coming. Convo by design at outlook.com. Adding the word pleasure to our architectural and design aspirations will make life better for all those who choose to embrace this idea. See if you can add this word to what you do every day and see what happens. I'm looking forward to seeing you again in person at a design event near you very soon. Until then, be well and take today first.